Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from The Lancet Oncology. I'm Richard Lane and today, Friday, May the 2nd, TLO is publishing an important phase 3 trial concerning breast cancer therapy. To find out more, I'm joined by one of the authors of the paper we're publishing. And uh, come in, please, and do tell us your name and academic affiliation. Hello. Uh, so my name is Ian Kropp. I'm a medical oncologist at uh, the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. I'm also associated with uh, Harvard Medical School. Dr. Kropp, tell us about the background to your study. This concerns a molecule that's new to me, trastuzumab, mtanzine, in the treatment of HER2 breast cancer. Can you just, for context, give us the, the clinical issue here and what the background and objectives of your study were? The treatment of HER2-positive breast cancer is a, a fairly fast-moving field within oncology. Back in 1998, we had the development uh, of a, the first targeted therapy, trastuzumab, for this type of cancer. Uh, and later, another drug, lapatinib, was developed. And it's very clear that these targeted therapies have improved outcomes for our patients. But unfortunately, in the metastatic setting, virtually all of our patients eventually develop resistance to these drugs and their cancers progress. And there's really no clear standard of care for these patients once they've progressed on multiple HER2-directed agents. Now, trastuzumab mtansine, or as we commonly call it uh, in the community, TDM1, is a novel approach. It's, it's what's called an antibody drug conjugate. So it consists of a monoclonal antibody targeting HER2, and that antibody is linked to a very potent microtubule inhibitor called imtansine or DM1. In a recent phase three trial called Amelia, TDM1 was shown to provide uh, improved progression-free survival and overall survival compared to what was then a standard lapatinib and capecitabine. But again, there is no clear standard for what to do after patients had progressed on both trastuzumab and lapatinib. And we had done some earlier studies with TDM1 showing that TDM1 did appear to be active in patients who had progressed on multiple lines of HER2-directed therapy. Uh, so here we wanted to evaluate definitively whether TDM1 had improved outcomes when looking at this very heavily pretreated population. That this is the first randomized trial in a population who had received multiple HER2-directed therapies. Tell us a little bit about the methodology. I'm interested in the control group, which was, so this isn't a head-to-head -head trial, is it? Because the control arm is actually physician's preferred choice. So can you just elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, so I think this was a relatively a straightforward trial design, and this is now the TERESA study that we're talking about, which is the subject of this manuscript. So the goal of the study was to compare, in terms of progression-free survival and overall survival, single-agent TDM1 with treatment of physician's choice in patients who had cancers who had progressed on both trastuzumab and lapatinib, as well as chemotherapy. So a heavily pretreated population. Um, and as I said, there really is no standard treatment for this population. So we felt that treatment of physician's choice was the appropriate control and the, the best one to really reflect what's currently done in, in clinical practice. Tell us more about the trial itself, numbers of patients involved, and most importantly, tell us about the results. So this was a two-to-one randomization in which twice as many patients received uh, TDM1 compared to uh, the control of physicians' choice. A total of about 600 patients were randomized, and the data were pretty clear-cut. In this study, TDM1 had a longer progression-free survival by about three months uh, compared to the treatment of physician's choice, this was highly significant. 
there was an interim analysis of overall survival as well done here, which also showed a trend favoring TDM1. The hazard rate was about 0.55, and this also had a p-value of 0.003, but this did not cross the pre-specified uh, stopping boundary because this was an interim analysis. So technically, this is not considered significant. Response rates and duration of response also favored TDM1 in this study. And it's also worth, it's worth pointing out that the duration of response for TDM1 was about 9.7 months. So in general, when patients do respond to TDM1 in this study, it seemed that the responses were fairly durable. You did point out there's there's some concern about this control arm of, of treatment of physician's choice. Uh, you know, some people argue that that you know perhaps patients receive suboptimal therapy when they're assigned to that kind of control. However, in this study, uh, about 80% of the patients who were randomized to treatment of physician's choice received a trastuzumab-containing regimen, typically trastuzumab with chemotherapy, which is probably the most effective uh, therapy available for patients, uh, you know, in, in that line of treatment. And we did a pre-specified uh, subset analysis where we compared the TDM1 arm just to the patients who had trastuzumab-based therapy in the control arm, and the hazard rate was pretty similar. So it looked like that even looking at that select subpopulation, the TDM1 was still superior compared to to that uh, population. In addition to this improved efficacy uh, that was seen in this trial and other trials, one of the salient features that, that's been known uh, since early trials of TDM1 is that it's very well tolerated. And here again, in this study, TDM1 uh, had fewer grade three or worse adverse events and patients required fewer dose reductions of their drug uh, than the patients who were on the control arm. Clearly some encouraging findings, a doubling of PFS in the TDM1 group. What does this mean for practice? It, this drug has already received FDA uh, approval, hasn't it? So, and um, uh, so, is it already being used in clinical practice? Yeah. So, I think it, it, it did receive FDA approval uh, in the spring of last year, 2013. You know, I think these data are consistent with the the Amelia study, which was the basis of the FDA initial approval. And I think the data now are, are fairly clear. The TDM1 is both more effective and generally better, better tolerated than, in this case, treatment of physician's choice, which was mostly uh, chemotherapy plus trastuzumab. And I think based on these findings that TDM1 really should be considered a standard of care, both in the Amelia population, which was patients who had progressed on trastuzumab-based therapy, as well as the population in this study, which was patients who had progressed on both trastuzumab and uh, lapatinib, as well as chemotherapy. Uh, so, I, you know, I think the data seem now quite consistent uh, that uh, TDM1 really is a good standard of care for patients who progressed on HER2-directed therapy. Sure. I realize you are not probably a health economist. Sorry if you are, but I don't think you are. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> and obviously, you are talking in the States where the, the, the setup in the health system there is different, say, to the UK, for example. But what would you say, situation we're dealing with in the UK, where our drug, um, our NHS drug approval body is already issuing concerns, uh, interim findings suggesting that uh, this drug is too expensive for a, for a publicly financed health system. What would your view be on that? Well, so, I mean, I think that is a good question, and it's true that TDM1, like most of the new targeted oncology drugs, is quite expensive, but 
Also, as we just talked about, the data from Teresa uh, and the previous Amelia study show that TDM1 provides substantially better outcomes and better tolerability compared to the current standards of care, even in those patients who are heavily pretreated. As you already alluded to, I am not an expert, far from it, in, in health economics, and I don't feel qualified to kind of argue the details of the NICE decision. But I do know that as a physician, I would much prefer to be making treatment decisions for my patients based on the clinical data rather than have a committee make these decisions for me. We all live in the real world, and I know that it's uh, not always possible to have access to every possible drug, but I I do think that these data, along with the, the the prior body of evidence regarding TDM1 do suggest that this is really a beneficial drug uh, for patients. And presumably, a final thought, adding on to what you were just saying, we're talking about significant numbers of women who will be affected. The, the, the HER2 breast cancer population worldwide is going to be substantial. It is. Worldwide, it is. Uh, you know, uh, HER2 positive breast cancer makes up about uh, 20% of all breast cancers, and because breast cancer is common, 20% of a large population is still a, you know, a significant number of women. This is not a trivial or in- insignificant question. Sure. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for a very clear discussion of your study's findings. That's uh, Dr. Ian Krop on the line from the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston in the United States. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Oncology. My pleasure.